I'm going to just take my time and tell you what I feel on my heart tonight. And I'm going to call your attention to a familiar verse of Scripture, but I'm going to do something that quite honestly rarely gets done. Most of the time we read or quote or refer to this verse by itself. But I want to read a few verses before it and a few verses after it. And we're going to talk about it for a while tonight. Are you going to help me tonight? I, I want to just say to you that in times like these, when I step to this pulpit and say I'm going to do some pastoring, folks tend to get on the defensive. And the devil certainly goes on the offensive. And I'm battling those two things in trying to deliver the burden of my heart. And so all it takes is really, I know you're standing, but really, I started to say a few. But I'm going to tell you, all it takes is one saint of God who will get under a burden for their pastor and intercede for me when things get tight. You know, we, we've, we've made reference, and some of you have read uh, the books by Brother Verbal Bean. We've made reference to him. We've talked about his hundred soul revivals. We've talked about the things that he saw. But you know, one thing that often gets neglected is a statement that he made that when he goes into a church, he starts looking to see if he can find an intercessor. He said, if I cannot find an intercessor in that church, we're not going to have revival. But he said, I don't care what's going on. I don't care what the church looks like. I don't care what's happening in the church. If I can find one person that when things get tight, they'll start interceding, then I know we will break through it and we will have revival. You know, some of you would like a little job in the church. There's a position open tonight. You want to do something for God? There's a position open tonight. We need somebody that'll be an intercessor. And when service starts bogging down, you know how to just forget about everybody and everything. You don't care what anybody else is going to think or say, but you're going to pray until God breaks the bondage that hell puts on the pulpit. Well, hallelujah. And I'm very serious when I say, I don't know, I, I announced last Tuesday night, I don't know when Brother Herring is going to be able to be here for revival. I don't know when that's going to start. It's all in God's hands. I told the church Tuesday night his mother-in-law is not doing well. While we were gone to Racine, she suffered a brain aneurysm and uh, is, is, was taken into the hospital. Uh, I have not heard anything in the last few days. I know she's not doing well at all or wasn't the last report that I got. 
So I don't know when he's going to be here, but I'm going to tell you, what, whenever he arrives, our revival will go much farther and be much more effective if somebody will just hear what I'm telling you right now and determine in your heart, I'm going to be that intercessor. Well, hallelujah. Because understand that demonic spirits cannot bind a service unless they can unite with a human spirit. Somebody in the church has got to let the devil have his way. And so somebody in the church has got to unite with the spirit of God and break that bondage. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen. Well, <clears throat> Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Most of us know and can perhaps some of us, maybe many of us can even quote verse 14. But I want us to look at it in context in which it is written. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12. And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Amen. Verse 14, would you read it out loud with me? It's a familiar verse, but I want us to really catch the full weight of what God is saying to Solomon. And not just to Solomon, but I believe to everybody everywhere who is truly serving God and walking in truth. Second Chronicles 7, 14, read with me. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. 
Two words, two words that I want you to notice in this verse of Scripture tonight. Two very small words, two seemingly insignificant words. But they are far from insignificant. The first word of the verse, if. Everyone say if. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The next word, then. Everyone say then. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will heal their land. If, then. I want to preach to you tonight about the distance from if to then. The distance from if to then. Hallelujah. I want to go from if to then. I want to go from if to then. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and talk to the Lord, everybody, right now. Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Come on, let's talk to him, everybody. Let's talk to him, everybody. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, help us to go from if to then. Help us, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. Oh, come on, come on. Ah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on, come on, let's reach out to the Lord. I I feel him here. Oh, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah.
Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated. Before Solomon was even born, David, David had within his heart a desire to build a house for God. The prophet, however, informed David, your hands are too bloody. You can't do the job. But God loves the fact that the desire is there. And God wants you to rest assured, David, that the house will be built. You're not going to be the man to build it, but it'll be your son. I'm going to honor what's in your heart, David. I can't honor it with you individually, but I'm going to let your son do what you want to do. I, I just believe with all of my heart. I just am convinced in my spirit. I can't find chapter and verse for it. I can't find a specific instance where it happens, but Brother Chad, I, I am convinced that from the time Solomon was born and David decided that this is the one who shall be my heir, I just believe that David constantly told Solomon, one day, boy, you're going to fulfill my dream. One day, son, you're going to get to do what I wanted to do and God wouldn't let me do it. David wasn't angry about it and David wasn't bitter about it. I think that that's in the heart of any parent. I would love to see my children go far beyond anything I am able to accomplish. I would love to know that they are a greater success than I will ever be. I think that's the heart of a parent. And David David was not angry about it. I believe that David started preparing Solomon as a boy. And I believe every time they got together, there was something that would be said. Now, now Solomon, I, I want you to watch Daddy because, see, really, it was called Solomon's Temple, but you understand David prepared most of it. David didn't get to assemble it, but he did get the instruments ready and got a lot of the furnishings ready and, and made preparations for everything to come together and I just got a feeling he took little Solomon by the hand and said come on boy we're going to pick up a few things we, we, we've got a job to do and all of Solomon's life he knew I have got a purpose and I have got a calling I have to build a house for God I believe that I believe that he saw that as his mission in life. And I think that I can show you through the scripture that that is the case. When you look at the timeline that is laid out in the scriptures, you, you, you look at the last chapter of First Chronicles. First Chronicles chapter 29 tells the story of David's death. It talks about how that Solomon would become king. The last chapter of First Chronicles, First Chronicles 29. And then Second Chronicles opens. 
Second Chronicles uh, chapter 1 um, then begins to tell of the dream that Solomon had uh, in which God said, tell me what you want. And Solomon said, there's just one thing I really need, God. I, I need wisdom. I don't know how to lead this people. That's, that's Second Chronicles chapter 1. Are you with me? The end of First Chronicles, David dies. The opening of Second Chronicles, Solomon asks for wisdom. Second Chronicles chapter two, verse one says this. And Solomon determined to build an house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. Do you understand? This is Solomon has, has, has had this time of prayer and communion with God, but this is really his first act as king. He determined, I'm going to build a house for God. This is what I was born to do. This is, this is the reason I'm sitting on the throne. This is, this is what it's all about. I, I am here for this purpose and for this job. I'm, I'm going to build God a house. His first act as king, he determined, I'm building a house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. And, and I know there's been those who have criticized the amount of time that Solomon put into the building of his own palace, but, but, but when you look at it from this verse, it shows a little different perspective because Solomon, at least at this point, wasn't looking at it like it, this is a house for Solomon. I'm building a palace for the kings to live in, but this is not our kingdom. This is God's kingdom. And I'm going to build a house for God, and I'm going to build a house for God's kingdom. First act as king is to make this decision. And so, so are you following me? David dies in 1 Chronicle 29, 2 Chronicles chapter 1. Solomon has a dream, asks for wisdom. 2 Chronicles chapter 2, Solomon says, I'm building God a house. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house. And then, the very next chapter, he starts building. He starts building. Well, hallelujah. I mean, this is just the way it goes. Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah. Where the Lord appeared, the Lord to, appeared David to David, his father. father. In, the, in the place and, that David had prepared in the threshing floor of and, Ornan. And, and, and we could talk a lot about all this, but does the name Mount Moriah mean anything? This is where Abraham offered Isaac. Mount Moriah, where Abraham offered Isaac. And this was also the place where David offered the sacrifice that stayed the plague that had been killing the Israelites. And, and, and this was in this same spot. And, and that is what today the Jews consider to be the Temple Mount, the place, the place where Abraham was, was, uh, was put to the test, and the place where David offered the sacrifice that stayed the plague. And in that very place, Solomon started building a house for God. That's chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 1. Moreover, he made an altar of brass, 20 cubits, the length thereof. So, and so now he's working on the furnishings of the house. Are you following this? 
This is, this is the way Solomon's life opens. It's what it's all about. He's now working on the furnishings of the house. And then that's chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished. And so all the work was finished. And? And Solomon brought in all those Solomon brought in all those things. That David his father had dedicated. That David had dedicated. And the silver. And the silver. And the gold. And the, gold, and and the, the instruments. instruments. Put he among the treasures of the house of and God. And so. So, so, so look at the progression. This is, this is what we're reading chapter after chapter in Chronicles now. David dies. Solomon becomes king. Solomon has a dream. He's promised wisdom. Immediately he purposes, I'm going to build a house. Immediately he starts building the house. He gets the house up. He starts working on the remainder of the furnishings. And then he starts bringing these furnishings into the house of God. This is chapter 5. And then chapter 5 describes the beginning of the dedication ceremony for the house of God. And it concludes with God's response to the opening ceremony. Second Chronicles 5 verses 13 and 14. It came even to pass as the trumpeters and, as the trumpeters and singers, and were, singers as were as one. To make, one sound, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. Yes. And when they lifted up their they voice, lifted up their voice with the trumpets, with the, trumpets cymbals, the cymbals, the instruments of music, the instruments of music and, the and they began to praise the Lord. Say, good. God is good, his and His mercy endureth forever. Then that then the house was filled with a cloud. Then the house was filled with a cloud. Even the house. Even of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God oh I feel the Holy Ghost around here hallelujah Solomon Solomon has one goal. He has one objective. I'm going to get this house built. He gets it built. He gets it furnished. They begin to dedicate it. And God says, I love this. I love this. And before they can even get very far, they're just doing the opening song, if you please. But I'm telling you, there was something about it. They didn't come in there playing on their iPhones and writing messages and chewing gum, but they lifted up their voice like one. Everybody in the house was singing together. Everybody in the house was worshiping together. Everybody in the house was excited about what was going on. And God said, I love this. And God's glory got so thick and so powerful that nobody could do anything. They couldn't even stand there because the power was so heavy in that house. Oh, let's praise him for a moment. Oh, hallelujah. Oh. 
Now, now they, th this happened, this happened in the opening of the service. This is the way it started. This wasn't the closing altar call. This is the way it started. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to have church? We just get in here and start praising God and forget about everything else and everybody's heart comes together and we really get unified. The glory of God falls so strong and the cloud of God's glory is visible and, and we can't even stay on our feet anymore. It's so heavy and so thick. And that's the way it started. And somehow, and I don't know, I don't know what transpired between chapter five, verse 14, the, the, the glory cloud being so heavy they could not even stand to minister. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened between the last verse of chapter five, but evidently it began to lift because it was then that Solomon stood Chapter 6, verse 1, Solomon begins his prayer of dedication. Read. Then said Solomon. Then said Solomon. The Lord hath said that the he Lord would dwell said, in thick darkness. You know, when you understand this verse, there was no chapter division. The glory of God, the cloud was in that house. To the point no one could even stand up. And then Solomon, the very next verse, Solomon says, you know, God said he would dwell in thick darkness. Evidently, it was so visible that that's all they could see. This thick cloud of God's glory. And Solomon is speaking and, and he goes on, verse 2. But I have built a house but, of habitation. But I've built a place for you to live, God. And a place for thy dwelling. I, I, I've built a place where I want you to dwell. I want this to be your house. Read. And the king turned his face. And the king turned his face. And blessed the whole congregation. And blessed of the congregation of Israel. And all the congregation. And of it Israel was then stood. that the congregation stood as the king began to bless them. The glory of God was in that place. Now we're going to deal more with the prayer that he prays at this point in just a little while, but let me continue on to bring you to the point of our text. You're still following the progression here. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to not really understand that this is how it's unfolding. David dies in chapter 29, the last chapter, 1 Chronicles, Solomon becomes king. Chapter 1, he has a dream. God promises him wisdom and promises him a lot of other things because he asked only for wisdom. And then, and then in chapter 2, he determines, I'm going to build a house. In chapter 3, he starts building the house. In chapter 4, he starts completing the furnishings. In chapter 5, he moves them in and starts the dedication. chapter 6, he prays the dedicatory prayer. I mean, to this point, it's all, it's, this is all about the house of God. And then chapter 7. Chapter 7, 
verse 1. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, when he made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. Look, when it opened, the glory of God fell. The cloud of God's presence filled the house. Now we're coming to the close of the service. And Solomon has prayed a prayer of dedication. And God responds again. This time not with a cloud, but with fire. God accepts the sacrifice, the sacrifices that are there. This is a sign. God's fire falling is a sign of his acceptance and his approval. He's already said my glory's in the house, but I want you to know I'm pleased with everything you're doing here. And the fire of God falls and consumes the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And again, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Read verse 2. And the priests could not and enter they, the house of the Lord. Again, they could not even go into the house of God because the glory of the, Lord, the, glory the, of the Lord. I don't know if I'm wetting anybody's appetite tonight. But I'm telling you, the whole time I'm preaching, I'm thinking to myself, this is the way I want to have church, Brother Merriman. This is the way I want it to happen around here. God, wouldn't it be wonderful if someday we drove up on the parking lot and we couldn't even walk in the door because the glory of God was so strong in this house. We couldn't even get inside. God, I want to see that at New Life. Uh, I'm tired of going through the motions of a service and just pretending to sing some songs and just clapping our hands because that's what we do. I want the glory of God to fill this house. The priests, the priests could not even go inside. They couldn't even go inside because the glory of God. You know, I've heard them tell tales of sinners pulling up on the parking lot of churches and immediately begin to weep and sob. I remember my own mother. I took her to church. Here she was. She'd been raised a Catholic and I'd received the Holy Ghost and I'm bringing mama to church with me. And I'll never forget when mama walked up and stepped up on the front porch of that church and I looked up at her and I saw the tears dripping off her cheeks. You know, I was brand new. I didn't know what was going on. I said, mom, what's wrong? She said, I don't know. I just feel something. We weren't even inside the building yet. We were standing on the front porch. She said, I feel something. 
and she was already weeping. She was already touched. She was already moved by the presence of God before she ever walked in the door. Church, we're missing something. We're missing something. We gotta get that glory back. We gotta get that power back. We gotta get that presence back. So, and so the fire fell and the glory filled the house and the priests could not even get in. Let's read on verse 3. And when all the children of Israel, saw, the children the of Israel saw, they saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord, the had, of the Lord had come on that house. They bowed themselves they, their faces to the ground. This might be part of the problem. When's the last time that you were so moved by the presence of God, it put you on your face? They bowed themselves with their faces upon the pavement, uh, 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 their faces to the ground upon the pavement. And worshiped. And were not even a carpet, not even a carpet, but on the pavement. And they worshiped. Praise the Lord. And they praised the Lord. Saying, and they good. said, he's good. For his mercy endures and his forever. mercy endures forever. And the king and all the people offered sacrifices. And the king the and all the people offered sacrifices again. Now, as you go on through chapter 7, you could read verses 5 through 10 and it's just more worship it's more sacrifice it's more celebration it's the keeping of feasts it's it's honoring what God's doing and all of this is happening to bring this time of dedication and celebration to its final conclusion and it was when all of this was finished that we read Verse 11. Thus, thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house. He prosperously effected. Now, uh, one thing I probably should have had you read verse 10. I, I didn't, but verse 10 talks about the people going back to their homes merry in their hearts because of all that God had done. And then in verse 11, the Bible says Solomon finished the house of God and he finished the king's house and all that came into Solomon's heart to make in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he prosperously effected. It's kind of an unusual way of saying things. It's old English. Let me read to you the literal translation of this verse of scripture. It says, And Solomon finished the house of Jehovah and the king's house and all that came to the heart of Solomon to do in the house of Jehovah and in his own house, he was caused to prosper. Everything that had been in his heart since he was a boy, 
Everything he had dreamed of, everything he had worked towards, everything he had planned for, God blessed it because this is what God wanted. Solomon wasn't just doing what Solomon wanted. Solomon was doing what God wanted. And God blessed the efforts of Solomon because he was doing the will and the work of God. And so, and so, verse 11 tells us that he prosperously affected. And he accomplished those things that were his goal and his dream. And again, I don't, We'll, we'll, we'll read verse 12 in a few moments, but, but verse 12 tells us that God appeared to Solomon. And God began to speak to Solomon. And it was in this setting, if you followed the progression of all that's taken place, it was in this setting that these words with which we are so familiar were spoken in Second Chronicles 7 and 14. If my if people, my people which are called by my name, would just humble themselves and pray and, pray and my face, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and, forgive their sins, and I'll forgive their sins and, will heal and I will heal their land. But, but listen to me, church. These are not just words that are spoken randomly. That's the way we read them. That's the way we quote them. You know, along about July 4th, it's going to be posted all over social media sites and people telling America you need to humble yourself and pray and quoting Second Chronicles 7.14. But listen, you really can't appreciate Second Chronicles 7.14 if you only read it by itself. You've got to understand what exactly is happening. These are not just words that God chose to speak. But God is specifically answering Solomon's prayer. Stay with me. Let's read verse 12. Back up to verse 12. 2 Chronicles 7 and 12. And the Lord appeared, the to, Lord Solomon appeared to Solomon by night, by night and, him, and said to him, I have heard thy prayer. I have heard thy prayer. Prayer, all right? Have you got that? That's, that's good. Have you got that? What he's about to say in verse 14 is because he was moved to say those words by what Solomon prayed in chapter 6. In fact, when you really read verse 14 and see what he said, it makes so much more sense if you first have read what Solomon prayed in chapter 6. It's a lengthy reading, but I want you to hear just a portion of Solomon's prayer. Second Chronicles 6, start with verse 21. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Now, I wish, I just, I wish there were some way and... It's not possible, but I almost wish there was some way that, that I could do a split screen and have just Second Chronicles 7.14 on one side so that as we go through this prayer of Solomon, 
you could catch the impact. You could think in your mind of what Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, which are called in my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn, then will I hear from heaven. Then will I hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Right? Verse 14 promises three things God will do. I will hear. I will forgive and I will heal. Now look at the prayer. Here's what he said. The prayer was, hearken to the supplications of your servant, to your people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou. Hear! This is his request. Amen. God, hear us Amen. from thy dwelling place. Even from hear from heaven. This is my prayer, God. Hear from heaven. And when thou hearest. And God, forgive. Hallelujah. This is his request. This is what he's asking for. Hear us and forgive us. Read. If a man sin against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear then thou what? from heaven. Then what? Here. Come on, don't, don't, don't bail out on me now. I'm going somewhere. Then what? Here. Then hear from heaven. And do. And do. And judge thy and servants, servants by requiting the wicked. Yes. By recompensing his way upon yes. his head. And by justifying the righteous yes. by giving him according to his righteousness. Read. And if thy people Israel be, and if your people be put to the worst before the enemy, because they have sinned because against Because they sinned. And shall return. And, and they return. And they confess your name. And pray. And, and they pray. And they make supplication house. in this house. Then hear then, the heavens. Then hear from heaven. And forgive the and sin. Forgive the sin. Hallelujah. This is his prayer. This is what he's asking God to do. Hear from heaven. Forgive our sin. And bring them again into the bring land. Bring them to the land. Which thou gavest to them and to their fathers. Read. When the heaven is shut up and there is no rain. When there's no rain. Because they have sinned because against Because they've sinned. Yet if they pray to If they will place, pray. And they'll name. confess your and name. And sin. they'll turn from their when sin. When you afflict them. Then. Then. Hear from heaven. Do you see how many times this is what he's asking? This is what he's pleading. God, whatever you do, hear us from heaven. Hear us from heaven. And, and forgive. The forgive the sin of thy servants. Read. Of thy people Israel. Thy people Israel. When thou hast taught, taught them the good, the good way, way. Wherein they, they should walk. And God. Read. And send rain. Send rain. Our land is sick. 
Our land is thirsty. Our land is dry. Send rain. Which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance. Read. If there be dearth in the land. If there's dearth. If there be pestilence. If there's pestilence. If, there be blasting, if there's blasting. Mildew. mildew locusts. Locust, caterpillars. caterpillars. If the enemies besiege, the enemies besiege them in the, the cities. Whatsoever sore. Whatever sickness. In what prayer or what supplication soever. When we pray, or of all thy people, Israel. when your people pray, read. When everyone shall know, everyone will know his own sore and his own grief. Spread forth his hands and he prays in this house. Then hear thou from heaven. Hear from heaven and forgive. And forgive. Render unto every man and render according to his ways. Whose heart thou knowest? Thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. Yes, that they may fear. They may fear thee. To walk in thy ways. To walk in thy ways. As long as they live in the land which God gave us to our fathers. So, this was his prayer. God, God, I've watched my people through the years. I've seen them in the time of the judges. I know the history. I know God. I know the way they've done, and I know, I know the cycle of their carnality. But I'm asking this of you, God. If we pray, if we come before you, would you hear us? And would you forgive us? And would you heal this land? That's his request. That's his prayer. And then we get back to our text, verse 12. And the Lord appeared to the Solomon Lord by appeared. night. The Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And, said unto him, and he said, I have heard thy prayer. I heard your prayer. Amen. I've heard your prayer, Solomon. I've listened to what you said. I've heard your prayer. Read. And I've chosen this I've place chosen to, this place to myself. I've chosen this place, Reed. If I shut up heaven. And so I want you to know that if I shut up heaven. That there be no rain. That there's no rain. Or if I command and the if locusts, I command the locusts to devour the, to land. Devour the land. Or if I send and if I send pestilence among, among my, people, my people. If my people. I want you to know, Solomon, I heard your prayer. I've listened to your request. And I want you to know. If my people, which are called by my name, by my name shall, humble shall humble themselves and pray and, pray and, seek, my and seek my face and, and turn from their wicked ways, listen to me, Solomon, then will I hear from heaven. That's what you asked. I'm telling you, I'll do it. I'll hear from heaven. And we'll forgive their I'll sin. forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Now, now, now listen, listen. I am convinced that this is not just a promise to Solomon. I'm convinced these are not just words that refer to a temple on Mount Moriah that's not even existent anymore. 
But he said, if my people, whoever they are, whatever nation they're from, whatever their kindred, whatever their language, if my people that are called by my name, Hallelujah, Jesus. he's talking about us as well. There's a promise to us. I'm going to tell you that down in this verse, down in this verse is a word of assurance. It is the word then. Then. Then will I hear. Listen to me, Solomon, and listen to me, people of God, wherever you are, Whatever era you live in, whatever the calendar date in which you exist, I want you to know there is a then. There is a definite promise from God. I will hear. There is a then. There is a then. I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. Then, then, I will, then. But you understand the word then is a word of timing. God has said I will but I will at a certain time. I will under a certain condition. When certain requirements and obligations are met, God said, I promise you, it's impossible for God to lie. I promise you that when these conditions are met, I will, I will hear I will forgive. I will heal. When these conditions are met, we reach then. It will happen then. There is a trigger that opens the windows of heaven. There is a latch releases the promises of God, then will I hear. I will forgive. I will heal. Then. But understand, church, that the word then because it is a matter of timing, a matter of condition, a matter that requires some prerequisite, then, after certain conditions are met, then I will, not I might, not I'll give it consideration, not I'll try to figure out <laughs> 
who gets what. But if you meet these requirements, I will. I will hear. I, 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 dear God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I will hear. I will forgive. I will heal. Then. But the then is dependent upon the if. If is where we start. Then is where we finish. But there's a path between if and then. It is a certain path. It is a clearly defined path. between if and then. And there is a list of requirements that must be met if we're going to go from if to then. Are you hearing me, New Life? We stand tonight on this last Sunday night of July 2013, we're standing at if. Our feet are on if. But I want to get to then. I want to get to then. I want God to hear. I want God to forgive. I want God to heal. I want to get to the end. I want to get to the people which are called by my name shall humble themselves are you with me now there's a progression there's a progression we're at if we gotta get to then here's step one if you will humble yourself. I'm going to tell you something. I'm hearing a whole lot of talk about wanting to return to the days of Pentecost. Wanting to go back 
to the revival of Azusa, wanting to see the outpouring of Jerusalem. But we're never going to get there, Brother Jared, if we don't first humble ourselves. And you hear me when I say to you that the Pentecost of the present is too full of pride. We're too proud. We're too proud. Listen, our forefathers had great revival in the early part of the last century, but you know, they didn't have anything to be proud of. They were poor. They had nothing. They didn't own the latest devices. They didn't have the name brand clothing. They didn't drive the fancy cars. They didn't come to church for a fashion show. Of all the things that preachers had to preach back then, pride was not, was not something they had to deal with a whole lot. Oh, there was pride. There's always been pride. But I'm telling you, we are filled with it in this age. We're filled with it. It's here. It's in this sanctuary. We've got pride. I'm going to tell you what's kept some of you. We've had preacher after preacher digging deep in some of these services. And what's kept some of you from running to this altar and falling on your face the way you needed to, you're too proud. You're too proud to admit you really need help from God. You're so convinced. You, 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 you want everyone else convinced. You want everyone else convinced that, that you're doing so well when really you're not. You're proud. You're proud. Now look, I want us, I want us to look our best when we come to church. I don't want us coming to church sloppy. I, I, I think I think that there is as much a spirit in coming to church sloppily as there is coming in the very finest. We don't take time to make sure our clothes are clean. You don't have to be rich to have your clothes clean. And I'm telling you, when we come to church sloppily, it's because we got a sloppy attitude toward living for God. But the other side of this equation is we can get to the place that we want to impress others. And we are so filled with pride over what we have and what we're driving and the label on our purse, the latest gadgetries. Well, you, you know, let, let me tell you something. There's, there, there's a lot of reasons why in this church we preach against makeup, but one of them is pride. That's right. The Bible says a woman ought to be shamefaced, and the word shamefaced means not having pride, and that's what I've taught you when I've preached against makeup. It's because it is a direct 
violation of shamefacedness. You put it on because of pride. Same thing with coloring your hair. We preach against that around here too. And the only reason you do that is because you're proud. You're too proud to admit what your age really is. I'm going to tell you something. And, and, and I, honestly, I don't even comprehend it. I am not ashamed of any gray hair I've got. And you shouldn't be either. And I'm telling you, if, you're, if, you, if you color your hair, it's because you are eaten up with pride. It's pride. That's all it is. You want somebody to think you're younger than you are when you're not. You're proud. And I'm telling you, God hates pride. God hates it. In fact, in fact, let me prove to you that God hates it. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six, these six things that the Lord hates. Hate. Seven. Yeah, seven. Now stop right there. Many of you know what's coming, but if you didn't know, and if you had never read this verse, how would you, how would you write these passages? If I ask you, what, what seven things does God hate the most? You know, I'd probably, if I didn't know these verses, I, I'd probably say, well, I imagine number one on his list is child molesters. I just believe God hates that. I believe God absolutely despises it. There is nothing more sick and perverted than somebody that can't keep their hands off a kid. Dear God, leave the children alone. You're sick, you're twisted, you're demonic. I believe God hates that. I believe it's terrible beyond description. I think that if I were the one writing the list and I didn't know these verses, I'd probably put homosexuality in there somewhere. Well, that's perverted too. That's twisted, that's sick. It's not an alternate lifestyle. It's an abomination to God. That's right. I can think of a lot of things that if I didn't know these verses and somebody just asked me to name the things God hates the most, I'd I, I think I'd I think I'd include I think I'd include some of these child molesters and homosexuals and witchcraft. God hates that. Scripture's clear God hates that. God despises that. God hates for women to wear and, and this, is, this is the thing. Deuteronomy 22.5 does not say that a woman cannot wear a man's clothes. 
says a woman shouldn't even wear what looks like a man's clothes. That's right. Shouldn't even look like a man's clothes. Shouldn't resemble anything masculine. Ladies, why don't you want to be a lady? I can't figure this out. Why can't you be happy with what God created you to be? Dress like a lady. Look like a lady. Trying to look like a man. I tell, it just, it literally sickens me when I see, when, when, when I see ladies walking around and their hair is shorter than mine. I'm thinking, what are you, what are you trying to prove? That, there's no way that that looks attractive to any man who's in his right mind. Now, I'm sorry. I cannot imagine a man thinking that looks attractive. Well, you were riding with me pretty well there for a while. but So you just thought I was going to preach about God's glory and power and fire. And I am. I'm telling you how we're going to get from if to then. I don't understand men trying to look like women. I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm sickened by these little Pentecostal, I don't even know what to call them. That Brother Burgess said Friday night when he's preaching that there's a problem when a young man's more concerned with matching his, his hanky with his socks. than he is about pleasing God. And I saw something. I saw, I, I'd never, they preached about this in Heritage, and I'd never seen it, but I saw it the other night. These little short, short-waisted jackets on boys. Look like they're about three sizes too small. Now, that looks effeminate to me. I'm sorry. Bright pink ties and hot red pants. I'm, I'm sorry. It just looks effeminate. That's, that's all there is to it. Well... It looks effeminate. Be a man. Be a man. Well, I'm, I'm kind of ahead of myself. I'm supposed to be talking about pride. Pride, pride. Oh, I'll get to that. I'll get back to all that, I promise you. I told you I'm not in a hurry tonight. Some of you are starting to get in a hurry because I'm starting to get a little bit close to home. Pride. 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 You know why women cut their hair? Because of pride. That's one thing. Another thing, according to the scriptures, rebellion. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches a woman's hair is her glory. And that the way that a woman shows she is in submission to authority is by not cutting her hair. And the moment that the scissors touch even the ends, according to the scripture, you are no longer in submission to authority. 
That's what the scripture teaches. But it's a pride thing. Well, I got all these split ends. That's the craziest argument I've ever heard in my life. You got to cut the split ends off for the hair to grow. Since when does your hair grow from the ends? Last time I checked, hair grows from the roots. And what you do to the ends doesn't affect the roots. That's just me. I just, you know, I'm kind of practical. I'm just, you know, maybe there's something deeper biologically here that I'm not aware of, but I don't see how cutting an end off of the hair makes it get longer from the root. I'll tell you what it does do. It brings the displeasure of God. It brings the displeasure of God. God. God doesn't tolerate rebellion, and that's what it is. It's not rebellion against me. It's rebellion against God. And God doesn't tolerate that. Oh. It's pride. It's pride. It's pride. Do you ever stop and think about this church? Do you know what sin it was that turned an archangel into a devil? Do you ever think about that? The only sin that I read about that even found its way into heaven. Pride. Pride. And it turned the archangel into a devil and caused a church split in heaven. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Number one. A proud look. Number one. Number one. A proud look. I, I probably should have added this to the scripture, but you go back into, into the prophets where they get to talk about what really happened in Sodom. Do you know that you have to read way down God's list of sins in Sodom before you get to their perverted lifestyle? But the first thing that God said about Sodom that was wrong with them is their pride. That's in the Bible. That was the first thing on the list, their pride. In fact, let me just tell you, really, homosexuality is the ultimate ego trip. Really, that's what it is. Because the person wants to love someone as much like themselves as possible. Do you ever think about that? That's what it is. That's what it is. It's a matter of pride. It is, I'm just telling you, it's the spirit of Satan himself. I'm convinced that Satan's a queer. I am. Really? I mean, the Bible does not call him handsome. The Bible says he was beautiful. Besides that, he was really into music. Now, not everybody that's into music is queer. I love music, but it is amazing how many of those guys really, you ever think about it? It's amazing how many of those, those queers, music's their big thing. 
That's what Satan, that was his big thing, was music. Music was created in him the day he was created. That's right. He's beautiful. He's musical. And he's proud. He's a queer. That's what he is. He's a queer. Hallelujah. Pride. These six things doth the Lord hate. And number one, number one on the list, a proud look. And I'm telling you, church, when we come in here so proud of ourselves, God turns his nose up. God's not interested in us being proud. God's not interested. God's nowhere to be found. That's right. I'm going to tell you, self-righteousness is a matter of pride. And I've watched conservative apostolic churches get filled with pride about how holy they are to the point that they won't fellowship others if they don't believe it exactly to the point. Every little jot and tittle of what they preach, if you don't preach that, you're a liberal. We don't want anything to do with you. You know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. That's pride. And God hates pride. God hates pride. I'm appealing to this church tonight. I want to get from if to then. I want to go from if to then. And the first step we got to take is to humble ourselves. What did James say in, in his, or Peter, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, ye young. James said it too, and I was going to use that verse and decided to use Peter. So anyhow, all right. 1 Peter 5 and 5. Likewise, ye younger. See, this is why people have a problem with submission is because they have a problem with pride. If you're not proud, you can submit. People who don't want to submit are proud people. It's below their dignity to submit to someone else. But he says, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves. The younger submit to the elder. And then he goes on to say, yay. All of you. All of you. Subject one to another. Be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. Wear humility like clothing. Cover yourself in it. Cover yourself in humility. Why? For God because God, God resisteth. resisteth the proud. And giveth grace to the humble. Brother Wisdom, I, I, want, you to, I, I want you to come here. I want, I want you to come just give me a hug, would you? I want you to just give me a hug. No, I want you to give me a hug. I want you to keep trying, all right? I want you to keep trying. No, come on, put forth a better effort. Do you, know, do you know what this is? God resisteth. God resisteth. That's what's going on. Listen, that's what's happening. We can, I love you, God. And God says, oh, I love you, Jesus. <clears throat> I want to worship you, Master. And God says, no, no, no. 
God resisteth the proud. God's not going to let you give him a hug when you're clothed in your pride. But if you can humble yourself, if you can humble yourself, when's the last time you shed some tears in an altar? I mean real tears. I don't mean you sniffled a little bit. I mean you cried. When's the last time you wet this altar? Well, I warned you we weren't going to be quick tonight. It's the first step between if and then is to humble yourself. We live in such an egocentric society. It's all about me. It's all about me. Brother Burgess got to talking Friday night about Facebook and Twitter and you know, he really, he opened my eyes on some things because, he, you know, here's what it made me realize, really, really, for many people. Now, now I use it, I use it to get out the word of things that I'm thinking or feeling, but for many people, this becomes their life. I have followers. I have friends that you don't even know, that you've never met. Friends. Really? And some of those friends use filthy language, post ungodly pictures, and those are your friends? Those are the people you want to be associated with? Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity against God? These are your friends? Look, I know, I know there are, there are just some people, even some people that I know, they get to posting bad words or sharing pictures that, you know, sometimes they find them on some, or they see some cute little something and post it and don't read everything about it and, I'm just telling you right now, bye-bye. I'm, I'm not about building up how many friends I can get on Facebook. That's just an ego trip. It really is. If you're befriending people you really don't even know, that's about your ego. That's all it is. You don't know those people. Well, I'm going to tell you, church, honestly, I'm just about sick of Facebook. I really am. I'm just about sick of it. I can see some real potential. You know, we've used it for A to Z. We've used it for the church. I can see some potential for making connections, but I see so much potential for danger and problems that I'm just about fed up with it. I want to tell you one of the biggest problems is we spend more time on Facebook than we do with our face in the book. That's right. That's right. Some of you can't even start your day till you've checked Facebook. Hadn't read any Bible, hadn't read any scriptures, but you got to know what's happening on Facebook. 
Well, something's stirring up in my spirit about it. I'm just telling you. I'm trying to weigh it out because I've never, I've never tried to just draw lines that I would someday come back and, and regret. I don't want to draw a line and then change it somewhere and ease up. But I'm just telling you something stirring in my spirit that I'm starting to see more problems than good. And when it reaches the point that I'm convinced that it is more problem than good, it's over around here. I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to keep you saved. And some of you have so much trouble with your ego. That's right. I mean, really, you really think people care what you ate for breakfast this morning? Really? Seriously? You think they care what you're doing at 4.03 p.m.? Most of the time, it just turns into gripe sessions and moaning sessions and complaining sessions, and all we're doing is airing our grievances, and that's really a great witness to those that are lost, isn't it? I mean, they really need to see when we're mad at somebody else, or they really need to see when we're frustrated about the way our day's going. That really needs to be posted all over the Internet, doesn't it? I don't see how we're going to win the lost when they see that side of us. Look, we all have bad days. We all have difficult days. We all do. But we don't have to air it publicly. You know how we ought to air it? Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? Anybody know that old song? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. You get mad, you get frustrated, you get aggravated. How about falling on your knees and saying, God, I'm having a really bad day today instead of getting on Facebook and telling the world you're having a really bad day. What are they going to do about it? How are they going to fix it? How are they going to make it any better? Well, it feels good to get it off my chest. Okay, get it off your chest in prayer. You'll feel a whole lot better. Because you'll not only get it off your chest, you'll get it in his hands, and he can fix it. Well, i got to get back to my sermon. It's getting late. This may be a record. This one may take two or three CDs. I don't know. This may be marathon preaching. Hallelujah. Thank God for MP3s because we can put it on MP3 and still get it on one disc. See? They used to tease Brother Jonathan Alviar. They always they called him they called him two tape Alviar. He used to do ninety minute tapes, and he'd fill up beyond one ninety minute tape. They'd always have to put every sermon he preached on two tapes. 
They called him two-tape Alviar. Well, I'm liable to be three-tape rigging tonight. If my people, if my people shall humble themselves. We're not going any farther until we get that one. You hear me? God, God puts things in his order. And this was step number one. There's no reason to go any farther in the process until you accomplish step one. And step one, step one was if my people, put Second Chronicles 7.14 back up there, if my people, if my people, which are called by my which name, are called by my name shall, humble, shall themselves. humble themselves. This is step one between if and then. We got to humble ourselves, church. We're going to have to humble. I, I, I can't get off of this, but I'm telling you, some of you have got major problems. Listen to your pastor right now. I'm feeling this strong. Some of you have got major problems. You justify yourself. Everything you do, you've got a justification for what you're doing. That is pride. I get up here and preach things and you've got a reason why. Well, but you don't understand. No, you're just proud. That's all there is to it. You cannot just admit you're wrong. You can't just say, I'm to blame. That's because you're proud. You're proud. You're proud. I'm going to tell you, I, I, I've never seen it like what I'm having to deal with. I know the Bible says you reap what you sow, but I do know too that the enemy can plant tares and sometimes you reap things you didn't sow. And I'm going to tell you, when, my, when, I, when I was sitting as a saint on a pew with my pastor, there were times my pastor got on to me about things I didn't even do. And never one time did I buck up against him and never one time did I say I'm not guilty. Never one time did I say you misunderstand. Never one time did I offer justification. I said, yes, sir, I'm sorry, and I'll fix it. I never tried to lay out all my reasons why. He's my pastor. And so he's right, I'm wrong. That's just the way I saw it. It's just the way I lived. And I, again, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I am telling you, I, there was a time I stood in his pulpit and he announced to the church there was not one young man that came out of this church that was more submitted to me and that honored me more than this man. My pastor said that about me. That's the way I tried to live. So I, he's not here to verify what I'm telling you. He's gone on to his reward, but I'm telling you that's the way I lived. There was no justification. There was no explanation. If the pastor preached it, if he told me I was wrong, then I was wrong. And that was the end of the discussion except for me apologizing and finding an altar and praying. God, I'm going to do what that man tells me to do. Just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. If my people shall humble themselves. And then as we progress from if to then, number one is humble yourself. If my people shall pray. I heard you tonight, Brother Jared. 
and I thank you because I know you just thought you were just saying something, but I knew when you said it, God was using you, son. I heard the great prayer that was going on before service. and My heart was touched and moved that so many of you were in such a deep spirit of prayer. And I heard Brother Jared step to the pulpit and say, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We can keep this prayer going for a while. Thank you for that. Thank you for doing that. It's what God wanted you to say, son. Because that was the very thing that I was going to come and talk to you about. I'm thankful that we had that kind of prayer going on. I commend you, church. But can I tell you that while I heard that prayer going on deep in this sanctuary, I heard adult voices out in the foyer laughing and carrying on as well. Why weren't you in here in the prayer meeting? Don't come to me telling me, I want victory, I want victory. And you won't pray? You don't want victory. We can't have revival without prayer. Matthew 21, 13 is the verse that Brother Jared was referring to tonight. So just go ahead and read it if you would, son. And said unto them, he said to them, it is written, it's written, my house, my shall, house be shall be called the house, of prayer. the house, not just a house, but the house of prayer. That's what's supposed to be going on in this place. That's what ought to be taking place around here. It ought to be a place of prayer, not a house of singing, not a house of fellowship, not even a house of praise but a house of prayer. I just, Wednesday night in Racine, I preached to that camp meeting and in my closing remarks, and I didn't bring it out here with me, but in my closing remarks, I read from a prophecy that went forth in 1906 in the Azusa Street Mission when the Lord spoke and somebody thankfully wrote it down I'm glad they did somebody saved it and it's now been printed in a book and so we have record of it 1906 a hundred and seven years ago, the Lord spoke to the Azusa Street Mission and said three things are going to happen to the church just before the Lord returns. Just prior to the Lord's return, three things are going to happen. And I don't know if I can remember all three off the top of my head because I, you know, I don't have them here in my notes. I didn't intend to bring this up, but I know one was that there would be an emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit rather than the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're seeing that. There would be an emphasis on power over righteousness. We're seeing that. And the third thing was the people will praise a God they no longer pray to.
And so songs like I just sang, take it to the Lord in prayer. Songs like sweet hour of prayer. Those are not the norm. Now it's praise him, praise him. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the noontime. And that's an old one, but you get the drift. There's a lot of songs being sung and written today about praise, but not very many about prayer because the songs that are written and sung reflect the lifestyle of the singers and the authors. And there's just not nearly as much praying going on as there is praising. And you know, there's a difference between praise and worship. Everything that has breath is commanded to praise. But worship is born out of a relationship. You can praise someone and not worship them. Right? You know, your little kid learns to do something, learns to walk, takes a few steps. You praise them for it, right? But you're not worshiping that child. Your dog learns how to roll over when you tell it roll over. You praise the dog, but you don't worship the dog. Right? So a lot of times we come into the house of God and we praise God, but we don't worship him. Worship's born out of a relationship. We need to learn to pray. James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Confess your faults one to another. I'm trying to hurry. I really am. No, I'm not trying to hurry. I'm trying to get done. And I'm not trying to hurry. All right? Read. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effect look, look, look. Pray one for another. Pray one. We are quick to talk about one another and slow to pray for one another. It's much easier to pick up the phone and tell somebody else what somebody did than it is to fall to our knees and talk to God about it. And Sometimes you just may not know all the details and it may not be what you thought it was. You may not have seen what you thought you saw or heard what you thought you heard. There have been a few times in my life somebody thought they heard me say something that I did not say. They only caught a word or two and missed the conversation and interjected into it their own thoughts. And they were convinced of what I said when that's not what I said. There have been times that I've had saints come and say, well, somebody told me that you don't want me to come here anymore. You know, can I just clear the air? If I don't want you to come here anymore, I'm not going to ask somebody else to convey that message to you. I am man enough to just tell you, I'd prefer you not come back. I have done that very rarely in 17 years. In fact, I, don't, I really don't know. I know of one incident where I told a man to leave. I know of another incident where a man's wife said she was leaving and he said he wasn't. Um, and... 
I said, no, yeah, you are. And then I think one other time. There's may, maybe three times in 17 years. So that's not really something I, I do a whole lot, okay? So, so if, if you ever get wind that I said, I don't want you here, would you please just laugh it off and say that poor deluded soul, I don't know what they think they heard, but I'm sure they didn't hear that because I'm not going to tell somebody else that I don't want you to come. If I don't want you to come, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't even know how I got on that, but anyhow, whatever that's worth. Prayer. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. We need to learn to pray for one another. We really need to learn to pray for one another. We need to learn to pray for one another. When's the last time, when is the last time, young people, that you called the name, specifically called the name of the other young people in your youth group in prayer? When is the last time you prayed a prayer and said specifically, God, touch Sean. Touch wisdom. Bless them. Bless Brother Jared. Bless Sister Rebecca. When is the last time that you literally spoke the name of the other young people in the youth group in prayer? When's the last time you adults did it for the other people sitting on the pew? In fact, when's the last time you called my name in prayer? You're hoping that I'm calling your name in prayer regularly, right? When's the last time you called my name in prayer? Can I tell you, I need your prayer right now more than I've ever needed your prayer. I don't mind telling you, I'm not too proud to tell you. I was talking to my mom yesterday on the phone, and, and um, she, said, she said, you're just meeting yourself coming and going. You better slow down. I said, well, I'll tell you what. If I am able to see myself in passing, I'll tell myself to slow down, all right? And I just... I'm just telling you, church, I've never felt so stretched. I'm just being transparent with you, okay? I'm being absolutely transparent. I've never felt so stretched and so exhausted and so overwhelmed as I do right now. And I'm telling you, I need your prayers. I don't need you thinking about praying for me. I need you praying for me. I need you every day to go to God and ask God to give me strength and give me wisdom and please, God, give me some energy. That's right. I am not a young man anymore. And I'm wondering, God, why didn't you open all this up 30 years ago? I had some energy back then. But now at 53, uh, Pastor Howard told me the other day that he said that he read somewhere that the most productive years of a man's ministry is between 50 and 65. 
Well, I guess that's the way it's going to be, but I'm thinking that's also probably the toughest time of man's ministry because he's exhausted. At least I am. I need your prayer. We need to be praying, church. I have preached prayer and preached prayer and preached prayer, and some of you still don't pray. You don't pray. You do not pray. A few moments in passing, you get up, you oversleep. You know, some of you need to get some kind of sonic boom for an alarm clock. That's right. Do something. Set five of them. Make sure the volume's turned on. But get up and pray. It's more important that you pray. Oh, I know some of you aren't going to like this, but it's more important that you pray than it is that you be on time for your job. You say, well, they'll fire me. Yeah, that's right. Well, what if God fires you? Then what are you going to do? What good's your job going to be? Hallelujah. You better be concerned with what God's thinking right now. This is a wicked age we're living in. But we've come a long way from where I started this message, haven't we? But I'm telling you, I, this is what I felt like God wanted new life to hear on Sunday night. It's been a long time since I've preached this way. And hopefully it'll be a long time before I have to do it again. But I'm just telling you, Brother Jared, we've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. If we're going to get from if to then, we've got to pray. Confess your faults to one another. Pray for one another. You may be healed. Why? Effectual fervent because prayer. the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That's what I want to happen. I want to see much. I want to see much accomplished. I want to avail much. But it's going to take effectual, fervent prayer. Not now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Not rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Hallelujah. We're going to have to learn to really pray. Really get a hold of God. Talk to God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was Elijah. Subject to like passions. Was a man subject to like passions as we are. He's he he didn't have a halo hanging over his head. He was the same kind of human being we are. But you know what happened? And he prayed earnestly. He did what? He did what? He prayed earnestly. That it, might not rain. that it might not rain. And it rained not on the and earth. lo and behold, it rained not. By the space of three years and six years. For three and a half years, it didn't rain. All because one man prayed. Three and a half years of drought because one man prayed. And that's not all. Read. And he prayed again. And he prayed Again, 
And the heaven gave rain. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth. And the fruit. earth brought forth her fruit. Listen. Elijah prayed and the heavens shut up. Elijah prayed and the heavens opened. We've been shut up for way too long. We need somebody to pray until the heavens open. It's time for some rain. It's time for some Holy Ghost outpouring upon this church. Somebody needs to pray. If my people shall pray, we, we're making our way. We, we're over here at if and we humble ourselves and, and then we pray. We're, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Read. We're, we're, we're Second Chronicles 7.14 again, right? Read. And seek my face. And... Seek my, it will say face. See, here's a key to our prayer. It's not just pray, but it's praying for the right thing. Because you know what most of our prayer is? We're seeking God's hands. Bless me, God. Give me this, God. Give me that, God. Meet this need, God. Meet that need, God. Take care of this bill, God. Take care of that bill, God. We want your hands. We want your hands. But he said, if you'll seek my face. See, I, I can... Here. Here. Yeah, I didn't even have to look his way for my hand to go there, right? I didn't even have to look at him. My hand can go there. And that's what we're doing, seeking God's hands. We want God's blessings. We want the goodies that God has to offer. But he said, I want somebody that will seek my face. God, I want to I look into your eyes. I want to see what you're looking at. Which, which way are you looking, God? What, what things are interesting you right now, God? What, what things have your attention right now? I know what's got my attention. My problems, my bills, my sicknesses, my issues. That's what has my attention. But God, what has your attention right now? What are you looking at? What needs are you seeing? I want to seek your face. Tell you what I've found out through the years. If I can get God's face to look my way, his hands will follow. It's so much better to have God's face upon us. I got a long passage of scripture here from the book of Proverbs. I've been doing my daily Bible reading in the book of Proverbs. A lot of wisdom there, a lot of instruction there long reading here but this this passage really tells us what it takes when we talk about seeking God's face do you know what we're really talking about finding his favor getting God to look our way getting God's favor on our life 
getting God's favor on our life. Proverbs, Proverbs goes through a long list of what we can do to get the favor of God. Do we have time to listen to what God tells us? You're not going to make it to Freddy's now anyhow. All right? Lord, have mercy. How long have I been preaching? Proverbs chapter 3. I told you it's going to be a long one. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law. See, see, here's the thing. I, I just keep preaching, keep preaching, keep preaching, and then that way, when I'm gone for a few weeks, you say, oh, thank God. Give us Brother Jared. He's short and sweet, and we're out at... Pastor, don't you need to go talk about Zimbabwe somewhere else? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. Uh -huh. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Uh -huh. Let not mercy and truth for, forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. Uh -huh. So shalt thou so find favor. shalt thou find Find what? Favor. And good understanding. Good understanding in the sight of God. In the sight of God. You're going to find God's face. Now, did you get the things he's already said? Don't forget the law. Let your heart keep the commandments. Don't let mercy and truth forsake you. Write them on the table of your heart. He said, I'm telling you now how to find God's favor. How to seek God's face. I'm telling you how to do it. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. With all thine heart. And, and lean not on thine own understanding. Quit trying to figure it out yourself. Amen. Read. In all thy ways, acknowledge In all him. your ways, in everything that happens, give God the acknowledgement. And then what will God do? And, and God will start directing your path. Read. Be not wise in thine own Don't eyes. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. Depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel. Yeah. And marrow to thy bones. Read. Honor the Lord with thy substance. Oh, yeah, pay your tithes. And verse 10. So shall thy barn be filled with plenty, and thy presses. presses shall burst with new wine. Burst with new wine. Talking about finding the favor of God. You really want to find the favor of God? No, I mean, really, the two of you do? What, did you mark this passage? I told you this passage tells you how to find the favor of God. Did you mark it? Did you make any kind of note that this tells me how to find God's favor? Are you really going to walk out of here and just, oh, I'll remember all that? No, you won't. I'm not just talking to hear myself speak, church. I'm trying to get us from if to then. I'm trying to take us from the potential to the promise. If my people, if my people, that's Proverbs chapter 3, if you're just now deciding that you might want to make note of it. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 
through 10. How to find God's favor. If my people, back to 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, if my people shall humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they'll seek my face, and there's one more step, and what is it? And turn from their wicked ways. And if they'll turn from their wicked ways. I'm going to tell you, it's time for some self-examination. It is time for us to look and see. This is why I said a while ago, I was really getting ahead of myself when I got into makeup and cut hair and dressing wrong and all the other things. I really wish you'd pay attention when I'm preaching to you. I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand when I'm preaching under a burden, making light and having fun. When I'm under a burden trying to help you be saved, I don't understand that. I don't comprehend that. I'm trying to get you somewhere, church. I'm trying to help you get from if to then. I know I've been preaching a long time. But I'm trying to get you somewhere. I don't want to stay where we are. I want to go somewhere. We got to turn from our wicked ways. Our wicked ways. We've got to make some changes in our life. We've got to quit defrauding one another. We've got to quit cheating people. We've got to quit being dishonest. We've got to quit being hateful. We've got to check our attitudes. I'm preaching, church. We've got to get our spirits right. We've got to get our attitudes right. Turn from their wicked ways. Proverbs 14.34 is a simple verse of scripture. It simply says, Righteousness, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin, but sin is a reproach to any people. It's a reproach. When we're sinning, I'm telling you, get your eyes off of the pornography. Stop it. Cancel your internet service. If you can't control it, get off the internet. It's not worth being lost over. And you're going to be lost if you keep looking at that garbage. Cheating and lying and stealing and being dishonest. And I don't care if it's with the government. We don't, we don't be dishonest with our taxes. Being dishonest about your tithing. You know, we preach against jewelry and yet all kinds of bling. And 
I've never, I've never preached against watches, but I'm telling you sometimes, if you have to take a second look to decide if that's a watch or a bracelet, I'd recommend you not wear that. Well, well, let not your good be evil spoken of. God help us. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to get us from if to then. I'm trying to take us somewhere. I'm trying my best. God's been digging, digging deep around here, and I'm trying to do my part as pastor to let you know I'm not just bringing in other men and trying to get them to do the dirty work. I still believe everything I believed when I came here 17 years ago. I haven't changed my mind. I haven't changed my opinion. I haven't changed my standard. We still believe exactly what we've always believed. And I'm going to believe it till the day I die. We still have guidelines for dating, and I don't care what age you are. I had a man that was in his 50s years ago. I was pastor another place. He, was, uh, may have been, he may have been 60. He was, he was pretty old. At least it seemed that way when I was a young pastor. But he's probably, probably pretty close to 60. And he was single. And he liked the lady in the church that was single. And I told him, we've got dating guidelines. Whoa, I'm a man, huh? I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult. I'm, I don't need all that. I'm telling you, you do need all that. So his next argument was, well, she's a lady. She would never do anything out of line. She would never misbehave herself. She's a true lady. We don't need all those guidelines. Yeah, well, you know what happened? She ended up pregnant. That's right. And not even by him. Real lady, isn't she? You still need guidelines. I don't care who you are. This is what we preach around here. Well, you don't trust me? No, I don't. I don't trust any flesh. I don't trust my flesh. Well, hallelujah. God help me. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm I'm trying to bear my heart tonight. Turn from their wicked ways. If, if, if my people humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. There's a third word. I told you there were two words that were crucial in this verse. There's really a third. And it is the shortest distance between if and then. If my people, if, that's where we start, then will I, 
That's where we want to end. The shortest distance between if and then. Here's what it says. If my people which are called by my name. Wait, wait, wait. If my people which are called by my name. There it is. That's the shortest distance. If they shall. If we don't do those things, we're never going to make it to then. But if we shall do those things. In fact, I want to show you something. I'm going to close. Musicians come try to figure out what in the world you're going to play. I want to show you something. I want you, I want you to read James 4 and 8, and then I want you to help me, Brother Jared. James chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to this. Draw nigh to God. Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to God. And he'll draw nigh. All right, now that, that's, that's, that's all. I want, I want you to come. I want you to stand right where that, right where that other little angle is right 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 there where the see that angle yeah there you go right there at that angle right that's then and this is if now I want you to tell you, I want to tell you the way most things work when you are aiming for a goal okay the way most things work is that's where I want to get to this is where I am so God said here's the process if my people shall humble themselves hey I'm closer to it Right? If they'll humble themselves. And, and they'll pray. I'm getting closer. And, and they'll seek my face. I'm, I'm getting closer. And they'll turn from their wicked ways. I, I'm even closer. And that's the way most things work. You got the goal. But look at this verse again. It says, draw nigh to God. he'll draw nigh to you so it's not like me doing all the work but every time I take a step I want you to take a step All right, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways the Bible said if you'll draw nigh to God it doesn't take nearly as long to get there when the goal is coming your way as well and I'm telling you the moment that we purpose in our heart this is what we shall do God purposes in his heart that this is what I will do if my people shall I will we can get there, church. We can get there, church. We can get there. We can go from if to then. Hallelujah. If my people shall, if my people shall, God said, I'm just waiting on you. That's all. I'm just waiting on you. But if you'll make a step, I'll make a step. If you'll come my way, I'll come your way. But I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. We can go from if to then. We can go 
from if to then if we shall if we shall if we shall if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land if my people shall if my people shall then will I. Oh, let's talk to him. Grace of God. 
at the cross before by the grace of God I will serve the Lord I have made my decision I have staked my claim I have drawn a line in the sand I won't be ashamed with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of God I will serve the Lord I have made my decision I have stayed staked my claim I have drawn a line in the sand I won't be ashamed with the world behind me at the cross before by the grace of god i will serve the lord i have made my decision i have staked my claim i have drawn a line in the sand and i won't be ashamed with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of god i will serve the lord i have made my decision i have staked my claim i have drawn a line in the sand and i won't be ashamed with the world behind me and the cross before by the grace of god i will serve the lord